Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, I have Terry Layden here with me today. He is a sales guru, and more importantly, he's a car head. He's one of those instructors that sits beside you and tells you to go faster and don't break when you're in the hairpin turn. And welcome to the program. Hey, thanks a lot, Amara. Thanks uh, for allowing me the opportunity to spend some time with you. Uh, it's funny you bring that up. And there's a real strong analogy and there's a real transference from when we're on the track with people who have never driven their new Porsche at a rate of speed that would be socially unacceptable on the street, yes. have never gone north of you know, 160, 200 kilometers an hour. There's a mindset, there's a framework that kind of kicks into gear that goes, no, this isn't right. And as we're coming into a corner, they've got to be following certain techniques in order to be able to negotiate that corner effectively and come out of it unscathed, not go off track, and, you know, there, there are so many connections uh, to selling. So, Absolutely. Like, have you ever gone off track in a sales call, right? Uh, many times. If we go off, yeah, if we go off track in a sales ask, call. Have you ever been on track, Umar, on a sales call? I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. Good, good, yeah, yeah, good question, right? Good so, Terry, let me uh, ask you this. Uh, I had heard this secondhand. I've never experienced it. Somebody was saying they were sitting with a, a driving instructor. They were saying, when you're coming into a turn that you don't know that turn, that you need to look at how fast the scenery is going on the right side of the road versus the left side of the road. And there's something about that speed differential lets you know if you're at the right optimal speed. Does any of that make sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a whole sensory experience. And what people do, and again, transfers over into sales, when panic anxiety sets in, our peripheral vision closes in and we're looking right at the moment. And before we mechanically, if you think of the neuroscience, before we're able to, to react to where we're at, we're already past that point. So the faster we go, the further we have to be looking. And in a sales cycle, um, if you want to collapse your sales cycle, accelerate, go faster, you got to get your eyes up and you got to look further down the sales cycle and figure out what's going to happen like chess, two, three steps out and be able to correct now. Right? So let's break that down because that first scenario that you described, that's how it biologically created. Because when the fight or flight kicks in, what happens yeah. is we are at our stronger selves. We mm -hmm. don't feel pain, but we hyper-focus on where the danger is, and we do not have peripheral vision anymore. So you have to train yourself to fight the instinct. So tell me how you do it for a driver in a car, and then we'll see how we can map it over to sales. So we look, we look at the physical characteristics, right? So we're always glancing and watching the observer. We're observing the track. Where are we? What's our speed, et cetera? So as we build up the speed, and, and at the same time, we're building the confidence of the driver, right? Getting them a little bit out of the comfort zone, but not too far out where they get into trouble. So we're looking at hand grip on the steering wheel as an example. Do we see a death grip? Yeah. <laughs> where, are they, are they, is, there, is their head and their helmet kind of down? Um, or are their eyes up? Are they relaxed? And... In fact, you can drive uh, the right kind of vehicle, of course, you know, well over 200K. Yes. And you can, you, can, you can navigate curves and corners merely by steering with your index finger and your thumb. 
and the other fingers are up in the air. And you're just very, very light grip on the steering wheel. Because then the, the overreaction will cause an issue. So you need to be very light. Yeah, very light. You want to be able to be able to sense everything that the car is telling you. And if you have a death grip, it's like your hands are numb, right? Yeah, you're deadening and it's the it. Same, same thing in a sales call. Like if you've got a death grip in a sales call, you're not listening. We need to be in the moment. We need to be active participating. We need to be totally glued uh, in the present moment with a light grip on the prospect, not squeezing them, trying to get them to say yes, but back off, breathe, relax. That's another thing we observe is the breathing pattern of our driver, right? Are they breathing oh, yeah, or are they absolutely. holding their breath, right? And you don't realize you're holding your breath when you're freaking holding your breath. Someone has exactly. to say, honey, breathe. And it's like, yeah. okay, that's a good idea. So let me tell you one of these profound moments for me. It was, yeah. I was watching something on, uh, about the Red Bull Formula One uh, racing team. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. On this thing that we're talking about, you know, we don't have the best drivers, but we want to win races. And so what we thought was, it's not getting to the finish line first, it's getting to the finish line sooner. And by asking that different mm-hmm. question, they were like, well, since our drivers can't make up the time, where can we find that time? And one of the ways they found it was they got low-tech solution is when you change tires, they can change it as fast as everyone else, but they started bringing electric blankets in to warm up the tires in, let's say, a wardrobe, and that would save them like three or four seconds for the first lap that everybody else lost because the tires weren't warmed up. And so when we come down to sales, when we look at, it's not just getting them to sign, there's other things that we can be focused on. And I think one of the things you were talking about before we started recording was we're so driven to go for the yes that we lose value of the no. So please tell us more about that again. Yeah. So, I mean, sales hunters, we're bred, go out, you know, find them, bring them in, right? And we've been raised by well-meaning managers and coaches and trainers to to convince. And so if, if uh, if you went outside and you, you know, pre-pandemic times, and we gathered 10, 100 people, brought them into a room, and we asked them the following question. When I say the word salesperson, I want you to come up with three adjectives. Douchebag. It's not going to be good stuff, right? And what we've learned is that when a salesperson engages on an unsolicited basis with uh, a potential decision maker or a buyer to explore potential, they go into a pattern of behavior. They hold the cards close to the vest. Um, if, if the salesperson's really good and they've generated some modicum of interest, the buyer then starts to ask a bunch of questions. And the typical salesperson is going to hear those interesting kind of questions and make the assumption, I got a hot one, I got a hot one. And they're going to be highly motivated to answer all the questions. And at the end of a half hour call or whatever it is, these buyers have learned the best way to dismiss a salesperson is say, wow, Umar, I never knew you existed. I had no idea you had these kind of solutions. How quickly can you get me a proposal? And then the traditional sales process would suggest Perfect. My next step is to get a proposal in front of them because to buy the Porsche. I'm going to get this sale. I'm going to buy the Porsche now. That's what's going on in their head too, right? And so they're highly motivated. You know, they want to push this thing across the finish line. They they spend all weekend, spend no time with their family to get the proposal done, trying to prove I want to earn your business. I'll really, you know, see how high I can jump on this to get the proposal in front of the buyer. 
nothing happens. The wheels come off. They don't return phone calls. And you're wondering what happened. So when I ask salespeople, when we first get together, like, what's your close rate on your deals, on your proposals? I mean, you've gone through the whole discovery qualification process. You put the proposal together. What's your close rate? No, 38%, 50% if we're really good. Well, let me ask you this question. If you could figure out ahead of time whether that deal was going to be the 50%er that you got or, more importantly, that you did not get, when would you want to know that? And everybody says sooner rather than later. Well, then why don't we stop trying to convince people? And instead of going for yes, which is present, bring and brag, show and tell, let me do a demo, I'll drive you to your knees. Let's take a breath. Let's slow down. You know, it's like, again, back to, back to the track, back to the racing, high performance driving. Slower in is faster out. So let's slow down in the discovery process. And instead of trying to convince and keep our foot on the throttle, let's do this instead. Let's explore deep and wide and look for any and all reasons why this deal will not move forward positively and figure out if we can do something about it. And if we can't do something about it, let's pull out. And so it's it's a 100% paradigm shift. It's a pivot. It's 180 degree opposite of the traditional selling model, which is about go for yes, convince, take no prisoners, and instead go for no. So let me interject there because I love that idea, but here's what's coming up. Is that, do you know any salespeople that are super busy, but not accomplishing what they should be accomplishing? We all do, right? Yeah, for sure. So sometimes the reason we do that is that we need to have a sense of I'm doing something, I'm busy. And so sometimes going for the no, although it's more efficient, but sometimes I would suspect that would be untenable because it's like, no, uh, just having the illusion of these deals are coming is it's like buying a lotto ticket. It's uh, the three days before they pick the lotto numbers are miraculous mm-hmm. days. And so yeah. when you lose, you don't get the the winnings. It's like, Oh, well, let me kind of move on. But I got the $1 gave me three days of peace of mind. So for a lot of salespeople training, when they hear you say what you're saying, they're going to go, Terry, that is amazing. I love that. But I wonder how many people really execute it because of that need to feel busy. Well, well, surprisingly, when you peel it back, a lot of salespeople actually push back and there's a fear. There's an uncertainty that if I start going for no, I'm going to lose a deal. Well, you can't lose what you don't have. Yep. Right. And if you come back to the actual stats again, you're not winning them. And if somebody actually is into you uh, and they're moving it forward by exploring the reasons why it might not move forward, is that going to convince them that they don't want to work with you? In fact, it does the opposite because the trust level with your buyers goes way up. So, for example, at the start of a sales call, we'll talk a little bit about technique for a second here just to kind of make it real, right? Mm-hmm. Get it off of theoretical. So at the very beginning of a sales call, the very first conversation, and we have to carry this all the way through the sales cycle, mind you, is if I set the framework for the conversation kind of like this, I'd say, Umar, hey, I really appreciate you giving me some time here this afternoon or this morning. Uh, I'm not really sure where this is going to go. Uh, and at this point, I'm not convinced we'd even be a fit together because I just don't know what your objectives are, what you're trying to accomplish. I don't have a clue in terms of what your expectations are. It's a first conversation. So can we agree just on this? And then we're not making any decisions to do business today. But if we could agree that toward the end of our conversation, if my answers to your questions don't line up with what you need to hear, um, 
would you be good enough just to tell me that? And, you know, we can stop the process. We don't need to take it any further. And by the same token, if the answers I need to hear from your side don't give me a good solid feeling that I can add any value, I want to be comfortable just sharing that with you and we can part, we can part friends. And maybe this is not the right time to be doing anything together. Are you okay with that? So that we can come off the call with, hey, here's the next step we should go toward. Or you know what? It's really not in either of our interests to take this any further. Now, that's the reality. That's the technique we would teach. But conceptually, I hear a lot of times in the Zoom call or in the physical training room pre-pandemic times, whoa, if I ever did that, that buyer is going to think I'm too assertive or I'm too aggressive. And that's a paradigm. That's a belief that's anchored in that salesperson or that human from past experience. So let's time out there just for a second, because there's a, a quote from the Talmud that says, we do not see the universe as it is. We see it as we are. Because what right. you just described, right. that upfront contract, which is very Sandler, and it works really, really well, you actually break down what's being said. There's nothing aggressive about it at all. No, no. But they're and perceiving it as something aggressive. And that's kind of like right. that mindset piece. So I wonder where they come from, because I think a lot of times salespeople are like, uh, they love this yes set kind of idea. Mm-hmm. I just want to get yes, 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 yes. And somehow miraculously, this will bamboozle the person to say yes for the deal. But like you said, if we can get the no faster, it's better. And nothing you said there was, basically you said it was, look, there's a million reasons why this may not work. Could not be the right time. Could not be the right fit. We don't have the right solution. You don't have budget. Let's just have a conversation, figure out what we're going to do next, which is something you would do for your best friend if you were going out racing that day. Hey, we're just going to have fun. We're going to do this. Let's see what happens. But we have a different set of rules when it comes to, I'm a salesperson and I need to be selling. I need to be reporting to my VP of sales and more importantly, my spouse on, on what's happened. So how do you help people get over that mindset gap and realize, no, this is actually respecting everyone's time and respecting everyone's position? Right. Well, it's it is based on an approach of incremental change over a period of time. So I would take what we just did in the way of what we call the upfront contract or upfront agreement, right? Where we're we're kind of nailing up a, a game plan together, co co-developing that. And I'd say to them, take one little piece of it and just stick your foot in the pool over the next week or two weeks, try it. And when you come back to our next workshop, let's debrief how that went. Get you comfortable with that. And get a little bit more out of the comfort zone, a little bit more. Like I've been at this 19 years, right? So I remember when I had to morph from that traditional salesperson. I was a VP of sales for a very well-known high-end sales training company that worked particularly with high-tech companies. And we were the traditional, go in, bring and brag, show and tell, pitch, pitch, pitch. And my close rate was abysmal. It was like 30%. And then I decided, you know what? I'm putting too many too many Ferraris in the garage of the owner of the company. I was a VP. And I decided I'm going to go do this myself. So I became part of the Sandler Network. And it was like a whack on the side of the head. I now learned how to sell. And it took me a, quite a while. I'm a slow learner. It took me a long time to kind of get through that, just the upfront contract as an example. I remember going on sales calls. And the little voice in my head is going, you sound really weird. But I, you know, I, I had invested significantly to be certified in this process. Oh, I yeah. had to master it. I had to get over the other side of this thing. And then over time, practice, practice, practice with some good coaching uh, from my Sandler colleagues. 
the light bulb went on and I realized like disconnect yourself from the outcome. That was the magic, magic pill I swallowed. When I could go into that sales call and disassociate from having to score, wow, the pressure went off my shoulders. The pressure went off the buyer's shoulders. And now I'm developing the best clients I've ever had. I'm a trusted advisor to them. They never feel like I'm trying to sell them. And I'm always looking for how we can add value. And they really open up. I, when you do a great upfront contract mm-hmm. and you follow some good questioning, when your prospect can say to you halfway into a conversation, I feel like I'm speaking to a psychiatrist. Wow. You know you're in. You know you're in. Absolutely. And I think that thought of just breaking things down into small chunks, like sometimes I'm teaching someone to cold call. The only thing I care about is the first 30 seconds. Right. Cold calls over over the first 30 seconds, then you got it. It's just uh, trying to do the whole thing and not breaking it down is like scary as hell. By the way, this is an old joke, but it's a good one. Are you ready? Terry, how do you make a salesperson shut up? You give them a telephone. Oh, okay. I was going to say, ask him for a proposal. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. So where are you? So you've been doing this for a while. You live it, you breathe it, you teach it, you use it. I use it to build my business. Yeah. Yeah. So where are you finding Terry? Where's the next area you need to improve? They're going, yeah, I'm noticing I need to kind of tweak here. What's that thing you're working on now? On myself. Yeah. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. You've never um, done it. So what's the next thing for you? Yeah, it's ongoing improvement, right? And there are three uh, interesting questions. I wasn't thinking you were going to ask me that, but it takes me to the three things that I'm all, all, always focusing on. And I journal about this. We believe in journaling at Sandler, right? Where you journal your thoughts, your feelings as you're going into your day to keep your head focused on the positive. Yes. And that's always a work in progress because there's always bad stuff that's happening, whether it's pandemic related or a deal that went sideways or whatever. And so we've got to manage our mindset and we've got to maintain an attitude and a mindset of possibility and abundance, which comes back to going for no. So if I'm an individual and this was me at one point. I was more scarcity and limitation. So, gee, to go for no, I'm going to miss out on opportunities, right? And so we have to manage that positive outlook constantly. So I journal on that. And, you know, good days, better days, not so good Okay, second one. It's one that's called need for approval. And that was inherent in my DNA before getting into the sales development business and moving to Chicago and working with that other company. Uh, I worked in a, you know, uh, Fortune 3 in Canada as a regional sales director, VP of sales kind of guy. But I was on a career trajectory and I was more worried about what people thought of me than I was, you know, performing in the moment. So I'd have tons of opportunities to get in front of people and express my ideas. I was more worried about the tie that I wore and whether it was going to come across as knowledgeable or not. And we have a term for that. We call it need for acceptance or need for approval. Right. And so if I feel my need for approval going up uh, and I feel that little bit of anxiety before a sales call, I dial it back down by, again, detaching myself from the outcome so I can be focused and performing in the moment. Nice. And then the third one, and this is like the trifecta. Okay. So we have our outlook, need for approval. And the third one is emotional control, maintaining objectivity. And so, 
you know, what's my trigger point? And there would be a point in my sales career where my, one of my key hot buttons or trigger points is when I've invested time and my client, my prospect says, by the way, I'm looking at two other providers, competition. That would really tick me off because obviously I've not impressed you at this point. Need for approvals kicking in. I'm losing emotional control. I'm strategizing on the fly. Stupid things are coming out of my mouth. I'd be embarrassed to share with you some of the examples. So those three things as a human, you know, I've got to arrest the reptilian brain, right? You got to like calm it down. And the way to do that is detach yourself from outcomes. So if I breathe, do some good breathing technique for a minute, detach from outcome, care less about where it goes, then I have a happy half hour coming up. There is a second way of doing it. Drink Canadian mm -hmm. beer and not American <laughs> beer. And that helps also. Uh, yeah. 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 So Terry, uh, before we part company today, thank you so much for a great interview. Is there one mind hack that you use to boost your productivity or effectiveness that uh, you could share with everyone? Yeah. Get up early. I'm up at five. I get rid of all my maintenance things. Uh, there's uh, some reading that I do to get my head straightened in the right direction. Um, I, you know, I'm not uh, evangelizing, but I believe a lot in my faith carries me through some of the tough times. And uh, again, I start my day by detaching from outcome. Now I got my list of things to do, but I'm less concerned about perfection uh, and just, just get it done. Bye. Terry, thanks so much for being on the program. I really appreciate it. And I took notes and uh, thanks so much. Hey, this was fun. Thanks a lot, Umar. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming. And that is the fastest way to get better results. 